God, we give you thanks for the way you love us. Thank you for the way that you didn't just um, create everything and then spin the world and watch it go, but that you have given us an opportunity for you to be with us where we are. We'd be foolish if we didn't ask you to join us now and guide us, move us, direct us. Truth is, God, we've each of us in this place this week have at least had one moment, if not the entire week, where we just decide that we're in charge. And where that leads us is not where we want to be, and we all know that. So we come today praying that you would lead us, that you would move us, those of us who are searching for peace, both Christians and people who are still trying to decide. God, would you lead us to what truly brings us peace and hope? And God, as we talk about more of the story today, would you strengthen our faith? Would you allow us to move forward, take another step towards the things that you want for us? We just pray that you would take this time, that you would curb our attention, that you would allow the things in our life to to be turned down so that we can hear a word from you in your son's name. Amen. Well, I'm going to jump right in. Um, I've got uh, four stories to tell you today. If you've read um, in the book the story this week, um, you, you know these stories. Um, but I really want to kind of maybe shed a new light on them. Um, if you're visiting with us, you may not know that we are in a series called The Story. Um, and this allows us to go through the Bible, which all of us have said, or some of us have said together, that the Bible's just hard to read. Um, it, it just at times it can be really hard to read. And so um, we picked up this book called The Story. Um, there's a picture of it, and that's actually on the front cover right there. Um, the, the story is a book written by a, a couple guys, and what they've done is they've, they've compiled the, the Bible and some of their own thoughts, and they're telling the whole story of, of God and of the Bible in chronological order, so it reads like a novel. And it's really helped some of us kind of get an, get an idea of the time frames and, and some of the way that God is moving. How many of you have been watching the Bible on the History Channel? Yeah. Um, pretty interesting stuff. It's getting more and more, uh, getting more and more controversial. Um, there's a lot in the news. There's a lot on Facebook. Um, pretty, uh, pretty crazy. Some of the things people are saying about it. Um, but one way or the other, it's getting people interested in it. And I think it's really cool if you're coming to church here and you're hearing these sermons. Really cool to be able to watch it and listen to it on Sundays and read it and all that at the same time. Kind of saturates you. Um, if you haven't got a chance to be here. Um, or if you've missed um, all the sermons, and I, I got last week's sermon uploaded late, um, so it's not, it wasn't up there till last night, but all the sermons um, for every sermon we've preached so far has been uh, in, the, in the story is up on our website at paragonnewlifecc.com, and um, you, can, you can check them out there and get caught up. Today we're, uh, we're covering a man named Daniel and three guys, so four total, and, and what I want you to do, if, you, if you're a Christian, you may have this problem that I have. Um, I grew up in a time of flannel graph. Anybody even remember flannel graph? Yeah, yeah, I know. Well, some of you taught me with flannel graph, Jackie Swinney, um, when I was a kid at Gosport Christian Church. Um, and uh, the flannel graph was this big blue, usually, board, um, and you took these little, little flannel sticker-like things that had pictures of Bible characters, and you'd put them up on the board, and you'd tell stories with them. And it was really pretty cool. I thought about bringing one today. Um, but I'm not sure you can even buy one anymore. They're antiques now. Are there, is there one upstairs? That's funny. But, but the idea of the flannel graph is that it brings it to life for kids. It brings the story to life for kids. 
and it's, you know, it's easy. But the, the teacher has a big stack of these flannel figures and goes up to the board and adds those figures and tells the story. And so the kids get this visual of the story. Now, as I was growing up, I had some really good teachers like Jackie Swinney, and I had some <clears throat> not-so-good teachers <laughs> and not-so-prepared teachers that would sort of, as they're going, they would look at this thing and go, huh, and they would start making up stories, you know. <laughs> and they would start kind of moving things around and telling stories that weren't there. So there are all these things in my head about the Bible um, and all these stories become to, start to become sort of Disneyized. They start to become like Cartoon Network in my brain. And the, the danger in that, there's a few dangers in that. The big danger in that is that if you're not careful, you start to think of the Bible and of the stories that we're talking about today as flannel graphs, as cartoons, as just good stories. But the truth is, these are historical documents. The Bible is a historical document. Now, there are some people who don't believe the Bible is the Word of God, but even then, it is still taken as a historical document, a document from the time that these people lived. So what you're reading is a story that, that it really happened. And I, I want to kind of give you some perspective on that today. The story of, of four guys that are younger than you might think. Um, and, and maybe the best way to give you the picture today is to put you on the side of the parents. In, in this case, um, you're a, a family of Jews who worship the God Yahweh. The God, God, Yahweh is the God of the Israelites, the God of the Jews, who has all these stories that relate to him. They, they have a story, the Jews do at this point, about God parting the Red Sea for a whole group of Israelites to let them go through. And I've got to be honest, the kids, as they hear the story, they kind of think of it like we think about flannel graph. Did it really happen? It was so long ago. There's nobody that was still, uh, still alive that would have seen that. It seems like such a big miracle. But then there's a few among them, especially some of the older adults, who just have a faith that Yahweh, the God of the Israelites, is who he says he is. And he continue, continues to do things for the Israelites, but at this point in our story, in this point in the big story, we are in a, a terrible time for God's people. Those who follow God, the Jews and the Israelites, those who follow the one true God, have been so persecuted, have been so alienated by their community that there are very few of them left. And the ones that are left are hiding and are running from the rest of the world. And at this point in history, uh, a, a man named Nebuchadnezzar, um, man, I wish our names were still like that. Isn't that cool? It's just, just a cool name. Um, Nebuchadnezzar was, a king, was the king at this point. And what he would do is he would go around and he would conquer one community after another. And at this point in history, everyone knew that there was a God. Almost everyone on the planet at this point in history knew there was a God. They just didn't know what to call it. But they had this sense that there's something bigger than them. And so what they would do if they didn't know the God of the Israelites, Yahweh, the God that we serve today, the God that we sang to this morning, the God that we're listening to now um, as, he, as we hear his word, um, if they didn't know this Yahweh, they would make up one. Because inside every human being, I believe this to the core of who I am, inside every human being is this God-shaped hole that you try to fill with something. So what that means is your neighbor, who is grumpy and mean, and you make a wide berth around their, their yard when you walk around, has a God-shaped hole, has a feeling in the deepest part of who they are that there's something more, that there is a creator. And at this point in history, they were all over 
the world, they were, they were rising up what, what they called idols and gods. And they would have different gods for different things. If they got up in the morning and they saw a beautiful sunrise, they would worship the god Ray, who was the god of the sun. Because they, you've had those that mornings where you wake up and you go, holy cow, there has to be more. There has to be more than what we see. There has to be somebody who created that. And they had that feeling. So instead of worshiping the one true God, they worshiped the God of that son at that moment. So they may, they may rise up different things. And the problem with that is that God said to the Israelites, you will have no other gods before me. In fact, not only will you not have any other gods before me, you won't have any other gods, period. I am the one and only. And if you have any kind of idols or anything else in your life, if any of these little gods start to pop up in your life, I'm going to be ticked. And we find out, if you've been reading the story, when God gets ticked, scary things happen. The earth opens up and swallows people. I mean, we, we've seen some awful, awful things happen when God has had enough. And we found out last week what happens when God has enough. And one of the ways to get God to that tipping point is to put other things, erect other things and say, I'm going to worship that in lieu of God. So you say, man, God made this wonderful sun, and you know the sun is beautiful, and you know this, this countryside is beautiful, and instead of worshiping the one who created it, you make your own thing, and you worship that. That makes God really, really mad. I think he gets pretty upset with us. Many of you don't have a big statue in your front yard to worship. I'd like to see it if you do. We don't really do that here. It'd be kind of funny. But a lot of you have a big truck in your driveway that you worship. You, you pretty much do. You know, it, you, when, you, when you sit down at bed and you ha- at night and you think about your life and you have this sense of peace in your life, you attribute it to the truck. You know how mad that makes God? Because that's not where peace comes from. When you sit down in the evening, some of you, you worship your house, you worship your money, you worship your 401K, you worship your job. Some of you, it's even harder to recognize than that because you worship your kids. And that seems like a good thing. But in the long run, God goes, no other gods before me. Because it leads to some awful, awful things in the hearts of humans when we begin to worship things that aren't the true God. So we see these, these families surface still that are worshiping the one true God, Yahweh. But more and more and more, they're getting pulled out by the king. And the king goes into one town after another, and everybody who worships a god, he brings them to Babylon, and he, some of them are in captivity, some, some of them just come to live in Babylon where he is. There, Babylon is this rich, incredible place where the food is better, where, but it's also just incredibly full of sin and not led by Yahweh. So all these people come into his kingdom, and he believes that what he needs to do is rip out the god Yahweh out of the lives and out of the hearts of Israelites and of the Jews. So as he does this, imagine that you're a parent, you're a Jewish parent, and you've got a a 15-year-old son who's just everything to you. This is easy for me to imagine. I got a daughter who's seven and she's going on 15. (laughs) Smart, beautiful, funny, um, incredible heart on this little girl. Like every now and then I just think, oh, I hope the world doesn't get a hold of her. Because the heart that she has is so big. And I think, what would happen if on a normal afternoon after school, people bust down our doors, took me in chains, cut my wife's head off, and took my kids? 
I'll never see him again. That's the beginning of the story of a guy named Daniel. Daniel was probably 15 years old when that happened to him. We don't know exactly how old. We know that he was a teenager. We know that he was very young. When I pictured that, when I hear the story of Daniel when I was a kid, when I, when I pictured that, when my Sunday school teacher put it up on the flannel board, Daniel was a man. He was a big dude. He was a strong dude. He was a handsome dude. He was an old guy, and especially at that point in my life. If you were 30, you were old. And this guy, he looked like he was in his 40s. I mean, this was an it's, it's the wrong picture. This is a boy. This is a kid. In fact, there were four of them. Daniel, whose name the king changed to Belshazzar, which is a weird name. So not only are you 15 years old, but you get this weird name attached to you all of a sudden. How come it couldn't be something cool like Nebuchadnezzar? You know, Belshazzar now is his name. And he has three friends who the king changed their names to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. My kids say Shadrach, Meshach, and the billy goat. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel. Four teenagers. I want to get, you, get this picture in your head. These are teenagers in captivity. And here's what happens. The king, king Nebuchadnezzar says, I want you to go out and I want you to find me the smartest, best-looking, the, the most kingly, the most uh, royal people that you can find from this Jewish culture. And I'm going to bring them into the castle and I'm going to babylize them. I'm going to make them like us. I'm going to make them like me. And then the rest of the Jewish people will say, if it's good enough for Daniel and it's good enough for these good-looking, smart kids, then it's good enough for us. Here's the scripture. Check this out. The king says in Daniel chapter 1, verse 4, Select only strong, healthy, and good-looking young men, he said. Make sure they are well-versed in every branch of learning, are gifted with knowledge and good judgment, are suited to serve the royal palace. Train these young men in the language and literature of Babylon. See, this was a great idea for the king. Because what he could do is get all of the Israelites following Daniel, and if he could get Daniel following him, then slowly everybody would start to follow the king. Well, here's what happens. From the very beginning... Daniel's in captivity, and his three buddies are in captivity, and they start going through the, tra- the training in Babylon. And at this point in history, um, God has said something to the Israelites that um, if, you're, if you have Jewish friends now, if you've got neighbors or friends or family who are Jewish, um, they still follow, uh, if they're, if they're um, really strong to their beliefs, they still follow the belief about the food that God has asked the Jews and the Israelites to partake in. And here's why. This next slide. Daniel, um, at this point, is in Babylon, so there's, there's money everywhere. There's food like he has never eaten in his life. Meat, cheeses, um, wine, all kinds of things that he has never had in his life. He's always eaten bread with, that's called unleavened bread. Have you ever wondered why when we take communion, it doesn't raise up like regular bread? It's called unleavened bread. And the Jews believe that, that, there's, that, that they shouldn't be eating yeast. Um, this is a, a, a law from a long time ago that yeast um, is, is defiling their, their, health, their diet. And so when, when Jesus would have taken communion the very first time, he would have taken it without yeast. So it's flat. It's called unleavened bread. That's why when we take ours, we don't believe there's anything wrong with yeast, but we do it in the tradition of the church and of the Jews. Um, we take this unleavened bread. That's why it's skinny and doesn't taste like our yeast rolls that you have with your turkey and gravy in the afternoon. And that's just one of the, the food rules that the Israelites had at that point. So when Daniel went into this place, he saw food everywhere. I don't know if you've ever been to Las Vegas. Um, I can kind of, I really don't love Las Vegas that much, especially now that I'm older, just kind of been there, done that. Um, but there is a, a restaurant, a, a place to eat in Las Vegas that is a buffet. 
and um, it's the Bellagio Buffet. And I'm telling you that this place is like heaven if you got a little weight problem, you know what I'm saying? Um, you pay what we call general admission when we go, and then you just have everything you can imagine at your disposal. All this food. When you get there, it feels like heaven, and when you leave, it feels like hell, let me tell you. <laughs> just so much food. Seafood and sushi. I love sushi, and I made myself so sick on sushi the first time I went. That's all I ate because it's expensive, and I can't ever afford it. And then they have the $5 desserts, and they have all this stuff. This is what Daniel would have felt like. He would have, for the first time in his life, gone in and been able to eat anything in the palace. But he remembered that his God, the real God, had made a rule about food. Actually made a lot of rules about food. And just like all God's rules, they make sense. Now, you may have heard this before that the Israelites, the Jews, um, were not allowed to eat pork. Um, They weren't allowed to eat anything with a cloven hoof. You know what that means? (laughs) Um, uh, 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 The hoof that is cloven. You couldn't eat anything with that. There's a lot of rules about what they could and what they couldn't eat. And if you look at it and you read it real quick, you go, well, that's just dumb. That's That's stupid. It's just food. But at that point in history, there's a really good reason why God, one of the reasons why God had asked them not to eat these foods, because people were dying from bacon at this point. They were dying from pork chops. They were dying from having a hamburger. Because at this point now, you couldn't go to your refrigerator and put your meat in it, or go to your freezer and put your meat in it, and wait till you're ready to eat it, and then eat it. The best preservative was salt, and if it got hot enough, it just wasn't good enough. And so the meat would go bad really quickly. And not only would it go bad, but even meat that was good, even meat that was fresh at that point, had worms in it. It had all kinds of issues. Yeah, see now? Now you're getting it? And you go, why would God make this rule? To save his people from getting worms. That's why. But you know how difficult it is when everybody else is eating this juicy meat. I'm going to have the veggie tray, please. And not only are you being offered this food, You're being forced to eat this food. Daniel knows something, even at a young age. We don't know how how old he is here. I think he's still in his teen years. I think Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are going through the same thing. They're all being carefully selected to become like King Nebuchadnezzar. They're carefully moving. And you've heard me use this word when it comes to sin in our lives before. And if you're here and you're young and you think that the sermon doesn't apply to you, wake up for a second because this is big for you especially those of you who are young and you're having a hard time making good choices in your life. Here's the thing with Daniel. He knows about sin. He knows that one small movement away from God is drifting. And if you get to drifting away from what God wants, it's real easy to keep drifting and keep drifting and keep drifting. So Daniel says, I'm not going to defile myself with the food that my God has asked me not to eat. Check this out. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and the wine. He asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in that way. So he didn't just say, which a lot of Christians in my life and on Facebook do now, that I'm better than you, I'm closer to God than you, and I'm not going to live the way that you live. That's not the way Daniel treated this thing. He didn't wear a big sign that says, I'm better than you. What he said was, I would like to ask permission not to have the food that the king has. Well, everybody loved Daniel, including the king, already. He, he had just really was the kind of guy you liked. Um, he says, look at this, verse 9. Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my lord the king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king 
would then have my head because of you. So basically, this guy says, Daniel, I really like you, and I'd like to help you out, but I don't want to get my head cut off because you look so bad after not eating this good food. And Daniel knows one thing. He knows that eating a whole bunch of pork and beef might actually make him look worse. (laughs) He knows that a a value meal number two supersized with a Sprite every day for lunch isn't going to make you look that much better than everybody else. In fact, it can be worse. I know, isn't that too bad? Doggone it. (laughs) I wish. In heaven, the healthy food will be Big Macs. It will be. But here it's not. And so Daniel says, try this. He says, give me nothing but vegetables for 10 days. And after that, we'll see who looks better. Now, some people call this a miracle, that God made Daniel look, somehow made him look as good as the rest of everybody else while he only ate vegetables. I don't think it's a miracle. I think it's human. I think it's, it's the way things are. Eating healthy. I think Daniel had a healthy diet, and he actually, it actually was better for his body than what everybody else was eating. There is actually a book out there now, and I haven't read this book, so I, I don't know that I can recommend it, but it's really cool that people are still doing it, called The Daniel Diet. And for 10 days, you eat what Daniel ate. And people are raving about how this works. Um, and it's, it's, it's incredible. So I don't know that it's a miracle as much as it's just human. This is what Daniel did. But the thing that we need to learn from Daniel is that at the end of 10 days, 15, verse 15, they looked healthier and better nourished than any other young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. Isn't that funny? Daniel wins. He gets the veggie tray. <laughs> Isn't this strange? But when you read this, I I want you to see this as more than Daniel choosing one food over another. This is Daniel recognizing that even the smallest of drifts away from what he knows God wants can lead him to a really bad place. Same is true of you and of your children. We've talked about, we preached a sermon not that long ago um, called guardrails where we talked about these things that we put up for our kids. And we say, you don't go past this point. And when, when I was a kid, it was, you don't watch rated R movies. You don't watch rated R movies. When you're an adult, you can make that decision for yourself. But in our house, there are no rated R movies. All, but, Dad, all my friends are watching rated R movies, and this one's not scary. It's not dirty. It's just a little bit of violence, you know? And, Dad, can't I watch Rambo at least? Because Rambo's rated R, and all my friends are talking about it. No. But, Dad, you're the worst dad in the world. I don't care. You know why? Because he knew that in a 13-year-old, I'm not trying to set the rules in your house, but this was true of me and my family. He knew that as a 13-year-old kid, a little bit of drifting, just a little bit of nudity, just a little more violence than I needed, just a little more of the F word was all I needed to take one more step away from God. And that one step was a drift in the wrong direction. My dad, instead of being the coolest dad on the block, was the best dad on the block. And to this day... Scary movies scare me a little bit. But guess who doesn't have a problem cussing? I don't. I've never in my life had a problem dropping the F-bomb every now and then. If I did, I'd make a whole different kind of preacher. It's not a problem for me. Now, not to say that if it is for you, then you're an awful person. I'm just saying this is something my dad kept me from. He saved me from that habit. I don't have a problem with nudity in my life. I didn't see it when I was 13 every time the, a different movie came on. I didn't see it. It wasn't something that was part of my life when I came up. I don't have a problem with that in my life. I believe my dad saved me. I'm not any better than anybody else. In fact, in a lot of ways, I'm, I have an addictive personality. and I, I can. I, my dad saved me from that because he knew what Daniel knows, that a little drift will always lead 
in the wrong direction. And I need you to know today, if it's in your life or it's if in your kid's life, stand up for the little things because they can turn into big things really quickly. Next slide. So here's one of the things that we see from Daniel really quick. The thing I love about Daniel is we see faith in this story. In God's story, we begin to see people who have faith in God. See, truthfully, when, when the Israelites went across the Red Sea, if you saw this on the Bible, the movie The Bible, you had to be thinking what I'm thinking. The Israelites crossed the Red Sea, and they, they all are really mad at Moses when they get to the Red Sea. They're like, you brought us here to die because they're coming after us. And Moses goes, Vroom! And the Red Sea parts. And they all walk and they get on the other side. And everybody's like amazed. At that moment, I thought, if that were me, I'd follow God anywhere he wanted me to follow him. You part the Red Sea in my face, it doesn't take faith. (laughs) Does it? It doesn't take faith anymore if I get to see the Red Sea parted. What I love about Daniel is he didn't get to see the Red Sea parted. This is faith for him. He didn't get to see those miracles. In fact, he went through a time in his life that was the opposite. It was awful to be a follower of Yahweh. And still he has the faith. Here's what he tells us first in this this story about, um, about uh, about his vegetables. He says this. Basically, his, his comment is, faith is not simply believing in God. It's about action. You know how many people I hear on a regular basis and present company included, and myself included. When things are, especially when things are going bad, what we like to say is, I believe, I believe in God. I believe in God. I believe in God. Somehow we think that if we just believe, if all we do is try harder, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe, then things will go our way. And I want you to know that that's just a lie. Look at this, James chapter 2, verse 19. This is from the New Testament says this, you believe that there's one God? Good. It'd be nice if we could end it there, but check out this next. Wake up for a second, because this is huge. You believe that there's just one God? Good. Even the demons believe that. So if you believe, if you're sitting here today and you just believe in God and nothing else is different in your life, all you do is believe in God, you're right on par with where the demons are. How do you like that? The demons believe in God. They, they see it. They shudder at God. They're scared to death of God. They believe in God. Believing is not faith. You get that? Believing that God is there isn't faith. And Daniel proves that one, after, one time after another in his life. He proves that what faith is is believing that there is a God and that it shapes the way I live my life. Coming to church on Sunday and singing songs and sitting in a pew and listening to a sermon is not faith. Faith is what you do on a daily basis. Faith is being able to say, I won't stop doing the little things. I will continue to pursue being who God wants me to be day in, day out. Simply believing in God is not faith. It's also about actions. James goes on, that's later in our, in our story, but James goes on to say, faith without works is dead. You know, what he, you know what he means by dead? Hell. Faith without works is hell. And I know that for a fact because I know friends who have been Christians you're listening at home, I'm putting up quotation marks. Christians, their whole life, because they believe in God. Something happened in their life, somebody was saved after cancer, something happened and they believe in God, but it hasn't changed their life at all. So they have no peace, they have no hope, they have no joy, and every time they hear a preacher like me say, peace, hope, and joy come with the belief in God and with understanding who God is, they go, boy, something's wrong with me, because I'm a Christian, 
But I don't got any of that. And the reason is because all of that comes with faith. And faith is more than just believing in God. It's acting. It's changing. It's becoming who God wants you to be. That's what faith is. Next slide. i got to get going here. So Daniel gets a little bit older, and things start to change. Nebuchadnezzar really loves David. In fact, David becomes really popular. This happens to people when they're good people, you know? When, you, when you're nice, when you don't wear a big sign on your chest that says, I'm better than you, when you're fun to be around, people are drawn to you, and that's what happened with Daniel. And Daniel gets closer and closer to the king, but stays close to God, will not shrug the little things. And finally, one day, the king has a dream. Um, and he, he has this dream. You see this in the Old Testament. Every time you read the story, um, you'll see somebody that has a dream, that God speaks in dreams. Now, I believe that he still can. God can do whatever he wants. I've never had a dream that I woke up and thought God just spoke to me. Usually it has something to do with bunny rabbits and iridescent something, and it doesn't make any sense to me at all, and it doesn't feel like it's from God. My dad, in his life, um, he's had two dreams that he feels like God has used to, to lead him down his path of his life. I've never had that happen. But at this point in history, partially, I think, because now we have so much contact with the Holy Spirit, we have so much availability because of Jesus with the Holy Spirit, he can lead us through our thoughts and on a daily basis if we let him. He doesn't use dreams the way he did then, but he used this dream to speak to the king. And it's a scary dream. Nebuchadnezzar has one of those dreams that he has to know what it means. And so he goes to all these people. So then at this point, the king has all these people around him that are magicians, they're enchanters, they're fortune tellers, and he, he's got more money he knows what to do with. So he just every time he sees somebody that does something cool with a card trick or something up my sleeve or a rabbit out of a hat, he goes, you're hired. And so anybody who can do anything magic or anything with sleight of hand comes to the king and tries to impress him so they can have a job in the royal palace. So he's got all these people around him who are entertainers and who are supposed to be able to tell the future and those kinds of things. And so here's what he does. King Nebuchadnezzar says, I want the fortune tellers. I need the magicians. I need everybody to come to me who thinks that they can interpret dreams. And so they all come to the king because here's what happens. It's just like what happens when you call the psychic hotline. If you want to know more about how I feel about the psychic hotline, come see me afterwards, all right? But this is the same thing that happens when you call the psychic hotline. You say, tell me my future. Well, let me hear a little bit about you first. And then they can tell you anything they want to tell you. Because you don't know what's coming next. You don't know whether they're right, do you? And by the time you do know if they're right or wrong, they've already got your money and changed their phone number. This is what happens over and over and over to the king. He goes to these guys and he says, please interpret my dreams, and they make up something. Well, what it means is that you're the best king that ever lived. <sighs> Give that man some more gold and let him go on his way. But King Nebuchadnezzar wants to know what this dream means so bad that this time he says, bring them all to me. And they all come running, and they all think, we're going to make up a dream, just like your psychic hotline. Some of them have gotten pretty good at the sleight of hand and making, making this work. But King Nebuchadnezzar says, you know what? You guys have done this enough to me. I'm going to tell you what. You tell me what my dream was. You tell me in detail what I dreamt. And then I'll believe that you can really tell me what it meant. And one of the guys, I think probably the biggest enchanter of them all, comes to him and says, but king, that's impossible. No man can tell you what your dream was. And Nebuchadnezzar says, then why would I think that you could tell me what it means? And so here's what he says. King Nebuchadnezzar was a grumpy man and had a terrible temper scary guy. He says, all right, since you can't do it and since none of you can do it, you say no man can do it, off with all y'all's heads. Everybody. 
I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill your family, everybody associated with you. If you can't do this, you've been lying to me this whole time. I kill you all. So he sent out a decree that all these men should be killed, and Daniel got wind of it. Now, there's a chance that Daniel would have been in that group of people. Because as a spiritual leader, as an advisor, as somebody in that, he would have been kind of categorized with those people, with those enchanters, the spiritual people. So Daniel might have been in that group, but I don't think so. Because I think he was so close to the king, the king would have found a loophole, Daniel would have lived. But instead of just sitting back and Daniel going, man, too bad them fortune tellers got their heads lopped off. That's more people out of the way for me. He said to one of the guards, don't kill these men yet. Let me go talk to the king. So I went and talked to the king, and you've got to hear this story. This is amazing. Daniel, young guy, Jew, doesn't believe that the king is God like everybody else does, doesn't believe in the king's gods, believes in Yahweh, goes to the king on behalf of these men that he doesn't even know, and he says this. The king says, are you able to tell me, Daniel, what I saw in my dream and interpret it? All the enchanters around are going, watch this. Daniel replied, I love this, no wise man enchanter, magician, diviner, can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. And everybody goes, ha, 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 see? Check this out. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in his days to come. I love this. Daniel didn't go, yep, I can do it. Watch this. He said, no, I can't do it. I can't do it. But God can And he's going to give me the power to do it. And so Daniel goes on, and he tells Nebuchadnezzar in more detail than Nebuchadnezzar even remembered exactly what had happened in his dream, and then interprets the dream. The dream is about, it's a whole other story, but it's basically about the future of Nebuchadnezzar and the kingdom and what's coming next. God is telling him, you better better get on board with with me. And so Daniel says, no, I, I can't, but God can. I was thinking about this this morning when I was on my way, and I was thinking about, I've got three baptisms today. I'm very excited about that. And I got people in the room today that are here to hear a word from God, and I thought, I, I can't do this. I can't, I, I can't do this. You, know, you guys know me well enough. This is not who I am. But God can. Thank goodness. So if there's anything in me, I want to stop right now. If there's anything in me that makes you think that it's me up here talking today, I hope and pray that it is not, because I believe that the creator of the universe is still talking through people who say, God, do your thing. This is what Daniel does. Next slide. So we, we move on in the story, and we kind of move away from Daniel, and he has become this huge person in the kingdom. Nebuchadnezzar loves him now that he is interpreting dreams, and he's interpreting dreams more often, and every time he interprets a dream, he is, he's making sure that God gets his due. And so we kind of leave Daniel in the story, and we go back to Shadrach, Meshach, and the billy goat. <laughs> These three guys who have been doing the same thing Daniel's doing. They've been trying not to eat. Now, we don't hear a lot about that, but my guess is they're following Daniel. They're not eating the, the same things either. They're trying to live God's way, and I know that because of the story that we're about to hear. And some people come to Nebuchadnezzar, and they, they make him, he's a pretty wise guy. He decides, all these people are worshiping other gods. What I need to do is raise up a new god, a brand new god, for everyone to worship. And then that will kind of get us all on the same page and make everybody united. So he raises up this huge god, 90 feet tall, which at this point in history, there were no cranes. There were, I mean, this is, this is an incredible feat of architecture and of construction. 90 feet tall by 9 feet wide. I always think that thing would tip over pretty easily. But it's very tall. People worship this thing. And Nebuchadnezzar de- creates a law. And he says, 
when I say it's time to worship this God, everybody in the place bows down. Everybody. No matter what God you worship, you guys, you can keep worshiping those gods if you want. But when I say worship this one, everybody bows down. So this is what he does. He gets all the subjects of the kingdom, everybody. Now remember, this probably wouldn't have been Daniel at this point because Daniel would have been up with the king in the palace. But this probably would have been Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were learning and they were part of the royal, but they, they would have been down on the ground with the people. And the king probably would have stood up on something high and everybody in the community would have been around and he would have said, now bow down before the new God. And you get this sound of everybody bows except three little dudes. Can you get that picture? I mean, thousands of people bow, except Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Still standing. And the king was furious. Aren't those the Jews? Aren't those the guys that we pulled out of slavery? Aren't those the guys that we've been feeding our food? Aren't those the guys that we've been training? Those guys won't bow down before me. They won't bow down before this new God. So they bring the king. And the idea is this. King says, anybody who won't bow down gets thrown into a furnace. And this was a a really common thing in this day day and age. They would create these big iron furnaces. And you know how these, these furnaces get hot. They get really, really crazy hot. And if you let them burn long enough, they get so hot that anything you throw next to them incinerates. And so it was a great way to clean up the town. It was a great way, but it was also a great way to scare people to death. And Nebuchadnezzar said, anyone who won't bow down gets thrown into the furnace. And these guys, listen to this, they say this. Three guys, I don't know, I, I, I kind of picture it like a barbershop quartet. They might have sang it to him or something. I don't think they all said it at the same time, but here's what they said. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able. I want you to catch this. It doesn't say God will save us. It says the God we serve is able to save us from it. And he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. This makes King Nebuchadnezzar mad. He is so mad. He's throwing plates. He's running around the place. And he says, get the furnace ready. In fact, get it seven times hotter than it was. So this thing just gets just infuriatingly hot, incredibly hot. Anything that gets near it is incinerated. In fact, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are bound with some kind of rope chain and led by guards to the furnace. And as they get close to the furnace, the guards incinerate. Just gone. Now, you're Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You're just sitting going, here it comes. I'm going to be a French fry real quick. And nothing happened. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego get thrown into the furnace. And everybody cheers. But there's glass or there's an open door. There's something that you can see inside. And the king starts looking inside. If you don't know this story, this is amazing. The king says, didn't we throw three guys in there? Somebody goes, yeah, that Shadrach, Meshach, and the billy goat guy. Yeah, we threw those guys in there. And the king goes, look close. Why are there four now? And why aren't they getting burned? Why aren't they incinerated? And King Nebuchadnezzar said, I love this. Remember, this is the Old Testament. 
There's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and someone who looks like a son of the gods. How cool is that? This might be our first picture of Jesus Christ in the Bible. I don't know for sure. But he calls him the son of a gods, and I know Jesus now wants to be where I am, especially in my fiery furnaces. The promise is not you'll be saved from the fiery furnaces, that God will be there with you. And that's what happens. So the rest of the story is even more amazing. They, they get, they, they, nobody goes in to get them because they know they'll be incinerated. Nebuchadnezzar goes, Shadrach, Meshach, the other guy, come out here. And they walk out. Bible says not a singed cloak, not a burnt beard. And Bible even says they didn't even smell like fire. They walked out. Now, if I'm Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego at this point, any one of those guys, I'm walking out going, uh-huh, see what I'm saying? Yep, it's me, you know? Booyah, whatever it is, doing a three, whatever it is. You know, I'm, I'm completely trash-talking these guys. They come out and they say, the living God did what he said he would do. Now, here's the end of that story. The long story, but here's the end of it. Nebuchadnezzar sends out a new decree. Everyone should worship the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The entire nation changes because of the faith of these guys. Faith is not... This is what they would tell you. Faith is not trust that what we want to happen will happen. I hear this all the time, especially when somebody in your life gets cancer, when somebody in your world has something awful going to you, and you say this, I hear it, and we've got to stop this. What I hear is this, I believe, I believe that God will save them. I believe that God will heal them. I believe that God will heal them. I believe that God will heal them. And I, I want to say to you now today, that's, that's not the promise of faith. The promise of faith is I know that God can heal them. The kind of faith that God wants from you is not, I believe that he will, I believe that he will. It's almost the, uh, the Dorothy in the Wizard of Oz. I believe, I'll, I'm home, I, I just want to, I'll think about home. I, I believe it, I believe it, I believe it, I believe it. And I see people do this all the time. It's a desperate attempt of desperate hope. And what God says about faith is that real faith says this, I believe that God can, and just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I believe that God can, but even if he doesn't, I will do the next right thing because I know he will be who he says he will be. I love that. Daniel 3, 6. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Okay, next slide. I've got to get through this. So Daniel, we go back to the story of Daniel, and this, things just get really crazy at this point. People are worshiping Yahweh. Other people are still worshiping King Nebuchadnezzar's idol, and all this is going crazy, and we go back to Daniel. And Daniel is so hated at this point by other people, other than the king and some of the higher-ups. The people that are trying to get Daniel's job are so hated, they're trying to figure out a way to kill this guy. And so they go, to the, they go and they say, I, we, we need to find something about this guy that we can, that we can expose. We want to get the skeletons out of his closet. And so they, they look and they look and they look, and one of the most amazing things said in all the Bible about a man is that they looked and they looked and they looked and they could find nothing about this guy. Look at this. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds to charge Daniel on the conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. How do you think that happens? That happens from never drifting away from God, what God wants. They could find no corruption. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So here's what they do. They go in and they say, Hey, king, we hear that there's people who are praying 
to a God other than you and to a God other than your gold statue every day. And Nebuchadnezzar says, not in my kingdom. Anybody who gets caught praying to a God other than me and, and every now and then maybe the gold statue and they can pray to Yahweh every now and then, but if they're going to pray on a regular basis, they're going to pray to me. Anybody who gets caught gets thrown into the lion's den, which is this big hole where they kept lions to scare people again if the furnace didn't work as a scare tactic. So they go back out and they know that Daniel prays three times a day. It's part of his, part of his day. He prays three times. And they go and they find him and they say, Daniel is praying and the king goes, oh no, I love Daniel, but I made a rule and I'm going to look really stupid if I don't keep it. So long story short, if you read this, you've got to read through the whole thing. It's a long story. But basically, Daniel gets thrown into the lion's den against the king's will, really. The king goes into his room and he doesn't sleep and he won't eat while Daniel's in there and he stays in all night. And when he wakes up in the morning, he's, Daniel's in with the lions all night. The king knocks on the door and says, Daniel, I love what he says, Daniel, has your God saved you? And there is a pause. I haven't seen this on the, on the Bible yet. I don't know if it's even been played. I haven't watched it the last couple of weeks. I hope they did this the way they should have, but there should be this pause. When the king knocks on the door, Daniel, has your God saved you? Because I think this is the question. This is the question your neighbors are asking. This is the question the people in your cubicle next to you. This is the question your friends, your family are asking. Is your God who he says he is? You get this pause and you hear Daniel go, God is good and he closed the mouths of the lions. They pulled Daniel out. They went and got the guys that accused Daniel, threw him in the lion's den. The lions ate him like that. <laughs> he ate him like that. And you go, <sighs> again. Another story on behalf of God. And i got to let you know that as we conclude this chapter today, that it, a chapter about faith, the story of Daniel is about faith. Faith is, Daniel would say, doing what you know is the next right thing and letting God sort out what's left. That's hard, isn't it? Because truthfully, next slide, Tanya. Truthfully, God's telling your story right now. Band, you guys can come on up. God is telling your story right now. You're a part of the big story. Um, one day when all of this is over, you could be right at the end of this, this book. This story is all part of God's story, and you're right in the middle of it. And here's the thing about faith. The truest test of faith is not when the lions close their mouth. It's not when the furnace doesn't burn you up. It, it's not. The truest test of faith is when God says no to the things you want. I've seen it happen around here a lot. And I've got to tell you, as a preacher, it's one of the hardest things for me to watch. Uh, you know, we, we, every now and then when somebody in our midst gets really sick or has cancer, we prayed for Norman sitting on a chair right up here. And um, I'm just being really candid with you today. But as a preacher, it scares me when we do that. I love it. I'm so glad we do it. It's what we're called to do. But there's a little, pit of, a little part of me that goes, what if God says no? What happens to the faith of our people? What happens to the faith of our people if we get around and we say, God, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe, and then it doesn't happen? And here's the answer to that. If we have the kind of faith that God expects from us, the kind of faith that leads us to hope, to joy, to peace, to the things that we really want in our life, what we'll do is when we come around there, and you've heard me pray for it if you've gone back there with me and you've circled with me, this is the way I'm praying right now. 
And I've had to learn this in my life. Maybe you're going through something today and this is all you get from this message. This is how God asks us to pray. God, I believe you can. I believe you have the ability. I believe that you you have the power that you can reach in and you can fix the cancer. I, I believe, God, that you have the power to save this person. You have this. You have the power to get me a new job. You have this, God. But even if you don't, I will believe. I will move forward. I will take the next right step. It's the real test of faith. That's what faith is. Not believing in what you hope will happen, but believing the one who knows and controls has your best interest at heart. i, I got to be honest, I didn't want to say this this morning, but I'm going to anyway. I just moved to say it. This Norman Barnes, I've still, six months it's been since Norman passed, and we all gathered around him. This has been a hard, it was a hard thing for us. We got to watch him struggle, and now there's still this residue and we wonder where God has taken us and I look over at Becky and I never met Becky until then and Becky is such a big part of my life and I go, thank God that it brought her here. And I I see many of you in this place who are going through these things and you're saying, God, I I believe that this will change. I believe this will change and what I'm going to ask you to do today is just change the way you pray. God, I believe that you can. I believe that you have what's best in in interest for me and I will take the next right step and I will follow you wherever that leads. This morning, I'll give you the chance to do that. Those of you that um, have never made a decision to follow Jesus, those of you who have never said, I am not in charge of my life, if you're here today and you still think you're the one with a steering wheel, um, it's just the steering wheel like my little kids have, the plastic one that you sit on your lap and and then you hit the horn and it goes, that's the kind of steering wheel you have in your life. It's fake. It doesn't work. You think it does, but it doesn't. And today, if you want to say, God, I I know you're really steering. I'd be foolish not to give my life to you. Today's the day to trust in the one, to give your life to the one who knows what's next in your life. I'm going to be sitting down here in front. If you want to pray this morning, I'd love to pray with you. And I'd love to help you take that next step. Would you stand with us?